Hey, welcome to the Resolve Podcast, episode number 30. I'm Carly Tisano, a New Year's resolution coach, obsessed with all things goal setting, personal development, coaching, and of course, resolutions. One of my biggest goals is to help you reach yours. I'm here to provide the tools, support, and inspiration you need to reach your goals this year and every year, and to feel supported every day along the way. Today, I'm interviewing on the podcast a very special guest and fellow coach certified by the Life Coach School. This is one of those topics that I knew I wanted to have someone on the podcast to talk about pretty much before I even started the podcast. And as I did a lot of other interviews I wanted to do, this one was always still in the back of my mind. And I wasn't entirely sure who I was going to interview, but as soon as I came across Janet, I knew that she was going to be the perfect person to come and share about such an important topic with us. So today's guest is Janet Whalen, who is a sleep and self-care coach for midlife moms, a former insomniac for 40 plus years turned great sleeper. Janet is passionate about helping women give themselves permission to sleep, rest, and care for themselves after years of giving everything to family and others. Janet's membership coaching program, Permission to Sleep, helps her members sleep better without pills, potions, or needing anyone else's permission. Janet is a certified life coach with the Life Coach School and was formerly trained at CTI as a co-active coach. She's also trained in CBTI, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. Before she found her own sleep solution, she spent years as a marketer, family photographer, and mom to her two sons, who are now young adults. Now she's empty nesting in Southern Ontario with her husband of almost 25 years and can be found reading, kayaking, hiking, and working in her garden when she's not talking about sleep. Well, today she's here to talk about sleep, but we do touch on many of those other topics in our interview today. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Janet Whalen. Janet, thank you so much for coming to share on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Okay. We're going to start out with the real life round. So why don't you share a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I, oh goodness, I've been a coach for about five years, but I was a coach for corporate women at first. Mm. And then I switched into coaching women entrepreneurs and I ended up switching completely to sleep after using my coaching tools to fix my lifelong sleep problem. Mm. And at the time I didn't really think that this was a thing. Like I thought I actually made it up. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I found the answer to all the universe's problems. And then I realized, Oh, (laughs) not really. This thing already exists in the form of something called CBTI, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. But what I do is bring a a life coaching perspective to that because anybody can read about that in a book or learn the tools online, but it's challenging, like almost like any other thing that you would pursue in life, right? Like we can't always see our own thoughts and we can't Mm -hmm. always see how we're holding ourselves back or how we get in our own way. That's where the coaching piece comes in. But yeah, I was an insomniac for Oh goodness. The majority of my life I'm in my early fifties now. And I can remember even as a little kid fighting sleep, complaining to my parents that I couldn't sleep. Like it's always been an issue for me for a whole raft of different reasons. And I did all the things wrong to try and fix it (laughs) until I started working on my thoughts about it. And yeah, I just, I realized I loved working with women entrepreneurs anyway. And I just thought this is actually a way that I can help more of them in almost a more important way. Like it's tough to work on your business if you're not well rested and you're anxious all day and you're arguing with your partner or whoever. And so I feel like I'm still doing the same kind of work just on a different problem. So that leads me into my first question. And I think you just answered it, but why should people work on improving their sleep? Yeah. Oh, there's so many good reasons. I, I don't like to approach this in sort of the fear-based way that you Mm. see a lot out there in the media, right? Like we see a lot of, you should be really worried about your sleep. There's all kinds of health implications. Uh, If you don't sleep well, here are all the terrible things that will befall you certainly in the next couple of years. And unfortunately that kind of messaging, well, A, it's it's not encouraging, but it actually makes insomnia worse. Some of the ways that insomnia really shows up for people is it's not really in feeling sleepy through the day. It's you're struggling with your relationships. It's in feeling like you can't make it through your day, that you're not functioning well, that you can't bring your best self to whatever the project is that you have on the go, right? Maybe you snap at your kids or your husband or your partner or whatever it is, but you're just constantly preoccupied with this issue. 
and you spend a lot of time trying to manage it. And it just shows up in all of these ways. The number one, I'm answering another question now, but like one of the number one things that my clients say they benefited from with this is that they find more time in their day. And I really think it's because we spend so much time like deciding about sleep and and thinking about all the things we're going to do to try to manage it. Once you don't have to do that anymore, it's like hours open up in your day that you get to spend on whatever you want. Yeah. There's a whole lot, like you can, you feel better, you feel more rested, you have a, a more consistent schedule. There's all those reasons why, but then all of the other things that kind of trail onto that, I think are as important, if not more. Yeah. Cause sleep really is the foundation for anything else that you want to do. If you don't have that, then yeah. it's just so much harder to build anything else. Yeah. I really think it's like, we need to move, we need to eat and we need to sleep right. As the human mammals that we are. And I think it's the thing that gets the last bit of attention. Like we're always worried about weight loss programs and we're thinking about what we should eat and going to the gym. And did we get our workout in, or were we able to go for that walk or whatever, but we don't, we put sleep to the end and we worry about it at bedtime when it's almost too late to be worrying about it. (laughs) And I think it's the one that people feel like they have the least control over. Like they can make whatever they want to, where they can go to the gym or not. But when you lay down, who knows what's going to (laughs) happen? It's funny because it seems different and there are things that are different about it, but it's also very similar, right? The more we try to control any of those things, the worse it's going to go. The more we willpower our way through or the more we like force it, we really just have to believe differently. This Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. We have to think differently about all of those things and sleep really comes when we stop being so concerned and controlling and and focusing on it so much. If you ask somebody who's a great sleeper, what they do to sleep well, they have no idea what to tell you. Yeah. So what is it that keeps people from sleeping well? Thinking about it too much? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of things. So for one, and I always, I tell everyone this, so it's important for your listeners to know, like you could have a a serious sleep disorder, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the first things you really need to do is talk to your doctor because sleep coaching is not appropriate for everyone. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have a biological thing going on. Sometimes you have a medical condition that's causing insomnia sometimes, or like a psychological thing going on. There's all kinds of reasons why you could have insomnia. Some require medication, some require being followed by a doctor or psychiatrist, and others are really just about how much chronic stress we carry around. Mm all day long. So after you've talked to your doctor and you know that there's nothing like physically or biologically wrong with you, then you can start looking at how do you feel during your day? Like, are you constantly worried about something? Are you constantly, are you the kind of person that feels like your mind won't shut down and your brain races as soon as your head hits the pillow? So aside from all of those reasons, it's really, it's a combination of the stress and having these sort of negative automatic thoughts about sleep that aren't really based in any kind of reality, right? Like we, a lot of what we learn about sleep is through the media and the media stories that are out there are often sort of tail offs on studies that were done by pharma companies who are pushing sleeping pills and their goal is to make you want to take those sleeping pills. And so we have to be really careful about some of the advice that we get around this, because for one thing, some of it is intended to help good sleepers sleep better. So it doesn't help insomniacs at all. Mm. And for another, it could be based on information that's just not supported by science at all. What's an example of this? One current one is that if we don't sleep well, particularly in midlife, we're going to develop Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm. Yeah. Have you heard that one? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And We don't know that for sure. What we know is there's a correlation between those two things, Mm -hmm. but we don't know that one causes the other. Right. We know that people who develop dementia later in life, there's a good percentage of them who complained about insomnia at some point in their midlife. Hmm. So is insomnia a precursor for Alzheimer's? Is it an early symptom of it? And you're going to, it's not the insomnia that caused the 
Alzheimer's, it's that it was an early indicator of it. We don't really know which thing causes the other. So there's a lot of this chicken and egg stuff with Mm. sleep that we just have to go on. Okay. Yes. That's a, there's a correlation there, but we can't really prove it. So let's just assume that we're okay and see what our thoughts are about it and then Mm. go to work on that. It's, it's a lot of undoing of existing beliefs, a lot of undoing of fears around sleep, like things that we've been taught to think there's a lot of that <laughs> it's sort of like money mindset, right? Like we, right. we have thoughts about money that we don't know where they came from our family or our surroundings or whatever. And sleep is really similar. Okay. What can people do then to sleep better? Yeah. So if you Google, how can I sleep better? Or why can't I sleep or something like that? You're going to get a whole list of things that are classified as sleep hygiene, like Keep your room dark and cool. Don't look at screens an hour before you go to bed. Don't have any challenging conversations with anybody right before bed. Uh, Don't eat two hours before. Don't exercise two hours before. Like all the sort of, if you wanted the ultimate sleep, these are things that you would want to do. But because insomnia itself is not really tied to anything you did or didn't do, it's about things you did or didn't think. (laughs) Those things don't really help. So people with insomnia go online and they look and they're like, well, I did all those things. How come it's not working? Mm. And this is the reason. So what you can try that if you're a decent sleeper and you just want to sleep better and you're not really sure, am I setting up my bedroom for the utmost comfort and Mm -hmm. calm and coziness and everything else? It's not to say those things aren't important. It's just, that's not the place to start if you're actually struggling with insomnia. So, and this is a good place for me to say that insomnia is kind of a fear of not sleeping. It's a symptom of something else. It's not really about your sleep. So to be classified as having insomnia, you have to have struggle falling asleep or staying asleep three nights a week for three months or more. And it has to be around 30 minutes or more that you're struggling either in the middle of the night or lots of people have that happen after a stressful life event. And it just goes away on its own. And we don't really know. Most people are able to just recover their normal sleep once the the trigger goes away. But for other people, and we don't really know why, the trigger causes stress that then becomes chronic stress and they're still not sleeping and it no longer has anything to do with the initial stressful event, right? That happened Mm -hmm. months or even years ago. And so it really has nothing to do with the event or your sleep anymore. It's just about how you're thinking about your sleep, how you're worrying about it and how you're creating all kinds of what we call perpetuating factors (laughs) to try and deal with it. And it's those perpetuating factors that they're almost like crutches, right? Like when we have sort of anxiety crutches or OCD type behaviors, like things we think we have to do in order to make something work or to make ourselves feel better. We do that with sleep too. And they just make insomnia worse. Mm. So we have to think of insomnia and sleep differently. Like we're just talking about sleep, then yeah, sleep hygiene is, is great. But for people with insomnia, it's more about what's causing all this chronic stress and hyper, your nervous system is just at full attention all the time. And how do we learn to calm that down so you can go back to sleep? So that's what it's all about is identifying those factors and working through them so that you can get to that point of being able to fall asleep and stay asleep. Yeah, often. And it's the thoughts behind why you created those factors, right? Like some of those, I'll just give you some examples. Some of them are taking sleeping pills, drinking before bed, any anything that sort of brings on drowsiness because you feel like you can't find that on your own. You need to achieve it artificially. Going to bed early to try and catch up on sleep sleeping in on weekends. Gosh, there's so many. Some of them are like overuse of sleep hygiene tools, right? Some people will go and say, I got the weighted blanket and I use blue light blocking glasses and I do all the things. (laughs) That's the problem. You're doing all the things, but the thoughts that you should be having about your sleep aren't there yet. So let's recycle. Those things are going to make you feel great later once we can figure out why you're so stressed out about this in the first place. But yeah, so that's the work. It's identifying the thoughts that made you want to go scrambling for those perpetuating crutches that made the insomnia worse. How interesting. I definitely, as a pretty type A person, I know what it is like to fall into the category of like, well, I'm just going to check all the boxes and that should solve all the problems. But 
that's what coaching is all about is diving into those things behind the things, which is the reason you're not doing whatever it is you want to do in the first place. And that is where so much of the important work lies. And it's not surprising, but still surprising that sleep is exactly the same way. Yeah. Like it's like everything, right? It's true. What Brooke Castillo, who's the woman who did the coaching program that we're both certified in says, this is just, this works for life, right? This is just a, another thing that happens to humans that we can look at through our thoughts and through that kind of perspective. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. So not to jump into more boxes to check, but I'm curious from your research and all the people you've worked with, is there a good time to go to bed or wake up or a certain amount of time that people should be asleep or strive to be asleep? Yeah. So interestingly, this is a great question. It leads to the kind of thinking that causes insomnia, right? Mm, Okay. So the answer is no. (laughs) The answer is actually not no. It's whatever works for you, whatever feels good for you. Everybody has a different ideal amount of sleep. There's a wide range of what's considered normal across age groups, across different kinds of people, women, men, kids. As we age, we tend to need less sleep, for instance. And so one of the thoughts that comes up there is that for me, for instance, in my early fifties, this isn't true for me, but a lot of my clients will say, when I was like 32, I slept great. What happened? Why can't I do this? Mm. (laughs) You know, your hormones have changed for one. So that's a big driver for women, but there's just so many different life stages, life scenarios, kinds of people, biological need that we can never really just say everyone needs eight to 10 hours of sleep. In fact, the major studies that have been done on this show that seven hours average sleep for a regular sort of median healthy adult is probably the closest number of hours that's tied to longevity. So if you look at long sleep, it's more closely correlated to early death than even short sleep is. Mm. And we're sold the total opposite, right? right? We're told, oh, you better get eight to 10 hours sleep. And we're all wearing our Fitbits and sleep trackers and everything else to try and make sure. But we, we don't know that if there's an ideal, it's probably seven. Again, please don't rush out and try to get seven hours of sleep. Maybe eight is right for you. Maybe six is right for you. Like we just don't know. And that's part of the process that I go through with my clients is to like, we work on finding what that sort of natural rhythm is for you. And then as far as going to bed and what time is good for sleep and everything else, our circadian rhythm is a thing, right? Like it is a biological reality. We are supposed to sleep at night and be awake during the day. There's all kinds of theories about why this is, but our bodies have evolved to excrete certain hormones and neurotransmitters based on the light or lack of light that we're experiencing. And the idea is that we get tired when it starts getting dark and we go to sleep. In our world, in our society, a lot of people are shift workers these days. And so some people have to sleep outside of that box. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to have decent or good sleep. It's harder for sure. Cause you're going against your, your body's biological rhythm, but that doesn't mean that you can't sleep or that the sleep that you get during the day isn't somehow healthy because it didn't start before midnight, mm. if that makes sense. So that's one of the first kind of rules that we have to, or beliefs that we have to undo at the beginning of sleep coaching is that there's some kind of universal ideal. We have to realize that what we're shooting for is the ideal for us Mm -hmm. individually. And that once we find that, we know how to keep looking for that and understand that even can change with time and with age. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. We're just humans having a human experience. And you also mentioned like sleeping in on weekends and going to bed early. That sounds like those are kind of other myths that should be debunked as well. Totally. Yeah. So both of those things, you're, so back to your circadian rhythm, our bodies want consistency. They want, they want you to do the same thing every single day. Mm-hmm. As soon as we sleep it, let's say you have a pretty pretty consistent sleep schedule through the week because of work. For instance, you got to get up at the same time every day. And then you look at Saturday mornings as, oh, this is my treat. This is when I I don't have to be anywhere. And I'm just going to stay asleep until I can't sleep anymore. What happens is we have 
within our circadian rhythm, we have what's called a sleep cycle and a wakefulness cycle. And your wakefulness cycle is about 16 hours of your day. And your sleep cycle is about eight approximately. Let's say you normally wake up at six or seven in the morning. And then on the weekends, you let yourself sleep in until 10. You need 16 hours of wakefulness before you can feel like legit biologically tired again. So what do you think happens when you wake up at 10 o'clock and you add 16 hours to that? You're not tired until like into the wee hours of the morning, but then you're, you go to bed at your normal time and you lie there and go, why can't I sleep? Why am I not tired? It's because I didn't build up enough. What's called sleep pressure throughout my day. I haven't been, I've literally not been awake long enough to feel tired yet. Oh, interesting. It's a totally normal process. It's exactly what we should expect to see, but we make it something's gone wrong because it's not what we want. It's not, we want to be able to force our bodies into this pattern that we've decided is ideal for us, but we should really be listening to our body the other way around. We should be going like, this is what actually feels ideal to my body. So I should be structuring my schedule to fit that. Mm -hmm. So a consistent wake up time is actually one of the most important things you can do for your sleep. And that means seven days a week. Oh, interesting. And the thing that people get the most upset about that, right? <laughs> right. A, they'll say, yeah, I'm just not that strict a person. I don't like to live on a schedule or that's my only treat day. It's the only, and, and we're sold that sleeping in is a treat, right? It's, you see this on all social media images. It's like people lounging around in their bed in the morning and drinking coffee and having their computer in their bed and all this stuff. That's all fine if you're a good sleeper, but if you have insomnia, like banish those images from your mind because they're not helping you at all. Hmm. You, you really need to get back onto a, a more consistent schedule. So what else can people do to prepare for sleep throughout the day or to build up that sleep pressure that you were talking about? Yeah, it's a really good question. One of the things is exercise. Exercise and bright natural light are the two best natural sleep aids. So natural light, because that's the thing that drives our wakefulness cycle. It's the part of our circadian rhythm that says, boom, we're going to wake up now. Big jolt of cortisol in the morning. We're going to lower the melatonin and we're going to raise your heart rate and your blood pressure and get you feeling like ready for your day. So bright light in the morning is great for that. Exercise is the next thing. And by exercise, I don't mean like you, you don't have to go out and join a CrossFit gym. And that's the best news because really what's been studied as far as, you know, how it correlates with sleep is that just a moderate walk of say 30 minutes, maybe 45 is really all you need. Mm -hmm. So you can combine that with a meditation. Like if you've ever done a meditation walk where you're just, you're not listening to a podcast, you're not talking to somebody else. You're just noticing everything that's going on around your neighborhood. That's really great for your nervous system. It's great. It's a great kind of calming, relaxing activity. You can combine that a walk and natural light, all three together. You've hit like three of the, the big ones. Hmm. We want to do anything we can during the day to learn to notice our stress and work on the relaxation activities that kind of counteract it so that it doesn't become chronic. So that was the third one. I gave you three in one there. <laughs> yeah, those are great. Those are yeah. all great. And then if they do all that, someone does all that, and then they get to bedtime and they still can't sleep, yeah. what do they do in that moment? Get out of bed. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is just lie there worrying about it. Mm. What we want to, what we want to achieve, and this sounds hokey and unattainable to people at the beginning of sleep coaching, but at the end, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And they're like, oh, of course, like that makes <laughs> perfect sense. You want to be totally unattached to the outcome of being asleep. Mm. Right. Like we think that's our goal. And this is why this is great for your podcast, right? Cause we're, we think that sleep is the goal. Yeah. And so what are all the things that we can do to get there, but it's not about what you're doing at all. And the goal is relaxing. The goal is not sleep. Hmm. If you make the goal sleep, then all you're going to do is create all kinds of effort around how to make right. sure you fall asleep. You're going to wake yourself up. You'll be in hyper arousal and you won't be able to sleep. It's, it's just the most counterintuitive thing. We cannot try harder to sleep. It works the exact opposite. So you really, your goal really needs to be about relaxing, about treating yourself really well at the yeah, end of the night, of yourself. Mm -hmm. treating sleep like a dimmer switch, not an on off. So mm -hmm. having this like nice 
calming wind down hour every night before you go to bed is a really good idea. Throw out the idea of bedroom routines, because especially for someone like you or me, that becomes a list that I have to tick off. And if I don't, right, if you don't do all the things, then you start beating yourself up about that. If you're the kind of person that tends towards this stuff, and a lot of type A people do um, struggle with insomnia for this reason. I, I always say it's three P's. I have a lot of perfectionists, people pleasers, and productivity focused mm-hmm. folks as clients. And we have to unwind all three of those thoughts and behaviors in order to see what our body wants from us instead mm-hmm. of what we're creating for it with those thoughts and those kind of preoccupations. And I can see how each of those would create a different stack of beliefs that you would have to overcome in order to get the sleep that you want, but that isn't ultimately the goal in and of itself. Right. One of them is I'm not doing it right. Yeah. Like that there's some ideal way to do this. And there just, there really isn't. It's different for every client and we use similar tools, but it's a personal experiment. We're just going to try on some stuff and see what works best for you and throw out the things that don't or save them for another time when you think maybe it might help you or you're, you've mastered the other habits to the point where you don't have to think about them anymore. Then maybe you can add another one. But yeah, it's really just a process of trying some things over time, learning not to look at every single night of sleep as the example, because we can have, and this happens after a couple of weeks of coaching, um, clients, we use a sleep diary and their sleep diary starts to look really great. And then the next week they have two nights on their sleep diary that weren't so good, but five were, and all they want to do is focus on the two that weren't right. (laughs) Yeah. And I've done this exact same thing, Mm -hmm. but we need to learn. It's like the average of a week that we're interested in. We're not interested in one night at a time. There's always another day tomorrow. This is the best thing about sleep. We get to try again every 24 hours. We never have to worry about what happened yesterday because we're just, if we had a bad sleep last night, we're just building up good sleep pressure to feel tired tonight. That's a great way of looking at it. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So what about those people who they get six or seven or eight hours or whatever, maybe right for them, but they still feel tired. Is that just normal? Is everyone tired yeah. all the time? Is that life? <laughs> so it could be, yeah. Like that could be a sign of stress. So that's the person that I always uh, direct back to their doctor first, just mm-hmm. to make sure that they don't have sleep apnea or something else like that's mm-hmm. causing them to feel tired or sleepy, or like maybe it's low iron or I'm not a doctor, so I don't diagnose those things. Right. So absolutely, if that's you and you think you're getting quote unquote enough sleep, go see your doctor. Once you rule that out, there's a lot with, do you follow Dr. Gabor Mate at all? Mm -mm. So he is a physician in Canada. I'm Canadian. Talk about a lot of Canadians. He does a lot of work about trauma with kids. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he talks about is that if we've experienced a lot of chronic stress or trauma in our life, that we can almost become addicted to our our stress hormones. Mm -hmm. And he uses the word addicted. it, It gets to the point where we don't know what it's like not to feel the the chronic stress, right? That it's, we feel we can't get up and go without all of that kind of pushing us. And we don't, we think there's something wrong when we're actually relaxed Mm. because it feels so opposite of what we're used to. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that happens with clients, like they'll, especially the ones who've had chronic insomnia for years, they will, their sleep looks fantastic on paper and They just can't understand why they still feel just off. And usually that goes away. And it's just a process of learning. Oh, this is just how I feel like this is just relaxed. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with this. So it can be that, and it can be something completely opposite that like you could be burnt out in your job. You could be, Mm -hmm. there could just be something else going on in your life. That's causing you to feel a certain way that doesn't feel good to you, but you're going to tie it to your sleep because that's the easiest thing to say. Well, there must be something wrong. If I feel tired, I must just not be sleeping. Right. Sometimes it's a sign of depression or anxiety. And again, that's why it's important to go get it checked out first. But oftentimes it's just, we're not used to actually feeling how we feel. And when we start really looking at it, it's like you shine a bright light on something and it doesn't have anywhere to hide anymore. So you have to that's face very it. True. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So I'm curious, 
each like shine the light into your own life and the lives of your clients. But what are some ways that you've seen sleep transform these people's lives? Yeah. So my, one of my favorite quotes from one of my clients who is a physician and a life coach and a mom, really busy woman. And she says she found three extra hours in her day mm. by sleeping better. And that I, I call it like sleep is like winning the time lottery. <laughs> this is why, because she was spending so much time managing her sleep, managing her day around sleep, not attending things because she was worried that she'd be too wakeful when she got home from the thing and then mm-hmm. sitting at home worrying that she missed the thing. And there's just so much that we pile onto that, that it is, it's like getting a couple hours back in your day. And so that one is the most common. I get a lot of women saying either I found more time or I was afraid of finding more time. Cause I didn't know what I would do with it when I found it. Hmm. And now I'm actually thrilled to have it. And I'm rediscovering myself because I just never had the time to think about me before. A lot of the women I work with, and I work with midlife moms mostly because they're just a population that doesn't spend a lot of time focusing on themselves. They're always scrambling around looking after everyone else. They sleep when everyone else is asleep and whenever everyone else is home and safe. And the rest of the time they think they need to be awake and worrying. Mm. And it's, there's just so much wrapped up in that that like the range of benefits is huge. So I've had, I've had women who, yes, they're sleeping better, but their main, their main thing that they say they took away from it was that their relationship with their husband is better Mm -hmm. because maybe one of the things, and this comes up quite a lot, they're worried about working on their own sleep because it will impact the time that they get to spend with their partner. Their partner likes them to go to bed at the same time as they do, but that's not working for them. They feel like, what's the only solution? Do we have to sleep in different beds? Like it just becomes this whole vicious circle of worries. And when they realize that if they just focus on themselves and stay out of their husband's model, which is a way of (laughs) this coach speak now, but not worrying about what their husband thinks about it or how they're impacting their husband by working on themselves, they realized that they were worrying about a lot of stuff that really wasn't mm-hmm. important, right? Or really wasn't going to be a problem and they were making it a problem. So the yes, they all feel better. Yes, they sleep more hours. Yes, their sleep is more consistent. These are all things that I expect to see, but the great additional stuff is I don't snap at my kids anymore. I have a way better relationship with my coworkers. I just feel so much better. Everything looks clear to me. Like these are some of the amazing side benefits of feeling rested. Yeah. Those are amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about sleep. Now we're (laughs) going to move on to the resolution round and talk about goals and resolutions and everything related to that. So first of all, do you set goals or resolutions? And if so, what's that process like for you? This is funny. I do, but I think I do it in a loosey goosey way. I probably Ooh, need your coaching. Okay. <laughs> I do, as far as like New Year's resolutions go, I stopped setting specific goals about four years ago or five years ago. And I would pick, I'm one of those word of the year people. Mm-hmm. So I pick a word and then I use it to ask myself questions or whatever through the year. So I've had words like one year I wanted to work on just like doing the thing instead of thinking and talking about it all the time. Cause I just noticed I needed to get off my butt about a lot of things. So my word was go last year. It was trust. Cause there was just a whole lot of stuff I knew. And it came up so many times throughout the year. <laughs> This year I've decided to ask myself a question and it's how can this be more fun or how can this be easier? I I switch it up depending on what the issue is and I just apply it to whatever is going on. And that helps me if fun and easy is the goal, then like, how, how am I looking at that in every single thing that I'm doing? And so I ask my that question whenever I think something's not going right, or I need to look at it differently. So it's not a... I shouldn't even say it's not a specific goal because it is, I am looking for more fun in my business and more ease in my business. So that is the goal this year. And that's the question I ask myself to find out if everything I'm doing aligns with that. I I have set 
like big goals in the past, certainly sleep was one of them. When I was working on my sleep, that was a total throwing spaghetti against the wall project. (laughs) And I would not recommend it to anyone. I did all the wrong things. But another big one that I've done, it's actually about eight years ago now, my family and I just wanted to live differently. And so we this was a long project. We took a whole bunch of different approaches to achieving this. We decide like, what does differently look like? And it meant things like living in a walkable neighborhood, having a much smaller house, but still a decent sized property, living closer to nature, being less focused on things and more on kind of each other and experiences. And we lived in a really big house at the time. And I like roped off entire rooms to see, can we live without this space (laughs) and realized that we could. And so we started on this whole project. It took about a year to find the right small house. We downsized by like two thirds. Our house is so much smaller than before. My kids are older now, but they all say this was like the best thing we ever did. We spend more time together as a family. The fact that our house is small and we're together all the time has been fantastic, actually, even though they were teenagers when this happened. We had goals like, because our closet space shrunk by a ton, everyone was only allowed to have 30 hangers. So everything else had to go. (laughs) It didn't fit on 30 hangers. You weren't allowed to bring it to the new house. (laughs) And so like, that was a goal with a bunch of little projects inside it that took about a year to realize, but that was like the best goal ever. And I think it's because we set all of these sort of really clear objectives for what it was going to mean for us and Mm -hmm. what we wanted it to look like and what we wanted it to be. And even though it took a long time and it's only really evident many years later, whether or not it was like, quote unquote, success, it was, (laughs) but that one feels like a huge accomplishment because it involved all of us. It was really it was fun. It was a totally different way of looking at life. It was, it just, it taught us all a lot about ourselves and each other. And yeah, that was a a cool one. I love that one too, because it's a big one you've said and completed in the past, but you can still see the through lines, even to the way you're working on goals now with focusing on your mission and your purpose and the way you want your life to feel and to look like as you live inside of it. And I think that's a great way to approach it because it it's very aspirational, but it's still aspirational in a very achievable way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And another one that's like more what people might look at as like a resolution or a specific goal. My husband and I have decided we want to hike the Camino de Santiago in 2023. So now our goal is like to make sure we're in shape to do that and to be hiking like five, at least five days a week and figure out. So what's, how do we get to be in the shape that we want to be in so that we can walk like many kilometers a day, every single day (laughs) and actually do this without hurting ourselves or regretting it. Yeah. So that's the one I'm working on now. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to see how all that goes. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. I love it. Okay. So every week on the podcast, we encourage listeners to resolve to consider something or experiment or take some action. So what would you encourage listeners resolve to do? Hmm. I think if we're going to talk about it in regards to sleep, it would be resolve to think about this all differently, to question everything that you're reading and say, does this apply to me? Is this really helping me to think this? And if it's not, where can I find the answer that I need, right? Look for, don't just believe every single blog post that you read because it came up in your Google search, like really dig in and see if you can figure out, am I taking this kind of advice at face value or is there a little more that I need to, that I need to think about here? Because I think we're so quick right now over the last several years to look for the easy answer, like to look for the quick fix, to think that all I need is a sleeping pill or the check boxes or the check boxes. Yeah. Or that special weighted blanket or like it's, if I I have to buy my way out of it or eat something Mm -hmm. specific to get my way out of it or any of those things, it's probably not 
helpful. So if you can resolve to think about it, really, how can I think differently about this? Like, how can I, yeah, how can I think differently about this? It's not necessarily something that I have to do. And that's a goal in and of itself, right? Just like we were saying before, they don't always have to be, goals don't always have to be just habits that you're checking off every single day to see, did I do it? Mm -hmm. It's why is this important? And who do I have to be or how do I have to think differently? How do I have to be different in order to make this work for me? Yeah. And you've given some great examples of sleep beliefs or myths that I think are pretty commonly held that if you can just let those go, it would be amazing to see how your sleep can improve even just on that footing. Yeah. Ask yourself, how would a good sleeper look at this? Mm. Right? Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah. And I guarantee the, it's an easy thing to ask because it's an easy thing to answer. They won't know. They won't <laughs> care. They won't have an answer for you because it's that simple, right? Yeah. It's That's a hard thing to unwind for yourself, especially when you're in the middle of it. Like you really, this is why I think coaching is so helpful for this because you really do need that like me as your mirror to say, mm-hmm. do you hear your brain saying this? And because it's also like hugely supported by everything we hear in the media and in books and in magazines and in stories. And it's the kind of thing that we like to commiserate about and complain about with each other. Right. Yeah. Like h- how many times have you said to a loved one or something like, Hey, how'd you sleep last night? Right. It's you just, it's one of the things you reflexively say, right. But you don't really it's not that you don't care. It's just, what would you say if they said terrible? You would probably just come as, oh, I know it's awful. Isn't right. it like, oh, and we just, we bring ourselves down into this like pit of despair together instead of, okay, how can we help each other out, <laughs> out of this hole? We're just happy to be in there indulging in this commiserating awfulness of how terrible we feel that we weren't sleeping. And I think we need to question that whenever we notice ourselves going there. Yeah. And that even sometimes you get the badge of honor for staying up late to work on that project, or I'm getting by on three hours of sleep a night. And most people, if they're really honest with themselves, like they don't want to be getting three hours of sleep a night, but they're figuring if I do, I might as well get patted on the back for it. But if you can let that go, and then whatever the next set of beliefs are that you probably have that are not letting you sleep in the first place, then your life is going to be so much different. Like you said, that foundation is going to be laid and you can do whatever it is you're doing in your life so much better. Yeah. Like question why you think you should get a hero biscuit for sleep for only getting three hours. Right. Why is that a good thing? Why do we, why are we so convinced of that? One of the things with insomnia is that we get so frustrated by our inability to force this or make this happen. We start to think there's something wrong with us. And then we convince ourselves that we're like some kind of special unicorn to make sense Mm -hmm. of it. So I used to say my favorite line And when I realized that this was my problem was I believed sleep is for chumps. I told that's always been my line. And I'm like, I literally believed it was for people who didn't know what I knew, which was you can get by with way less. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not dead. I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's fine. That's a really common, like work hard, play hard. I'll sleep when I'm dead. You don't really need it. Look at me. I only got three hours and I'm rocking it. That's how people think. And it's really a defense mechanism to make you feel like there's nothing wrong with you when this is, even though we, we should be less worried about the health impacts and more worried about just the stress, the health impacts are probably coming more from stress than they are from the not sleeping. That's what most uh, studies are showing with sleep, but they're still there. So let's work on the stress and the sleep will come. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are the thoughts that you have to really just let go. Sleep is not for jumps. It's awesome. (laughs) Sleep is amazing. (laughs) Sleep is amazing. I love sleep. It's my favorite now. I used to think, oh my God, I have to waste a third of my life asleep. That is terrible. Like what a massive waste of time. And now I just think I get to sleep. Like this is so cool. Yeah. And then it enables you to do whatever you're going to do with the other two thirds of your life, just that much better. Yes. Thank you for saying that because that's, that's one of the hardest things I think for a lot of people to get is maybe it's a third of my life is going to be asleep, but if it's not, the other two thirds is going to feel a lot worse. 
Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> is that really what I want? So if we're only meant to be awake for two thirds, let's make that two thirds really awesome. And the other one third really awesome too. Awesome too. Yeah. Yes. That's how it's meant to be. Like this is the design. So let's go with it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. I have some confetti questions so that we can get to know okay. you a little bit better and just for fun to wrap up the show. So what time do you get up? I get up at seven o'clock every okay. day. And what yeah. time do you go to bed? That sort of varies. I go to bed when I'm tired. Mm, and that's okay. another thing we have to learn is to, to get back in touch with our body's actual signals that tell you when you're drowsy. It's more important to get up at the same time, but go to bed when you're sleepy. It's usually around 11, 1130 okay. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. When do you do your best work? Ooh, this is something I've really learned in the last year. It's not first thing in the morning. And I used to think it would have been, mm. but it's not. It's somewhere between 10 and two. Okay. And then I, so I've learned to focus it into the middle of the day. And then if I'm winding down and feeling a little like mentally not on firing on all cylinders <laughs> in the afternoon, I allow myself to do something easier or just not, not require so much focus from myself because I, yeah, I've really learned that's the case for me. And when I look back at like my corporate life before this, I used to work in marketing. I can totally see how I would often be dragging like from two to four and feeling like I was having to power myself through. So I think that's a, there's a real thing with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the best piece of advice you've been given? Oh my gosh. This is, this is an interesting question. I think it's be ambitious for yourself. And this was particularly for women. I had a boss many years ago in actually my second job in advertising. And she wrote a whole speech about how women aren't ambitious for themselves and each other. And that men just do this for them, for each other. And it's just a natural thing that they do. And we don't feel good about doing that. We're always excusing ourselves and apologizing for our ambition. And I don't mean that ambition has to mean you want to rule the world, but it means whatever your goal is that you pursue it with gusto, right? You're just like, no, this is important to me. Yeah. And so I'm going to be very ambitious for this goal because achieving it for myself is important and I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. That was one of the, one of the best business pieces of advice, but also personal. That yeah. is a great one. Okay. Other than sleep, what do you do to rest? I love to read. I love hanging out in my kayak. I live near Lake Ontario. So I spend a fair bit of time in the summers in that, which, and I just like from actually kayaking to just like floating and looking yeah. at the water. I just love it. What else do I do? Hanging out with my kids. I love hiking. We have tons of trails nearby. And so spend a lot of time in nature and doing that kind of stuff. I love listening to podcasts. <laughs> like I have many favorites. And so I go in phases, mm -hmm. but yeah. Like I, I have a lot of interests luckily, so yeah. I don't lack for things to do in my downtime. Right. Yeah. Good. Favorite beverage. Oh, this is an interesting one. Cause it's coffee, but in the last few years I've switched almost entirely to decaf. Caffeine is a perpetuating factor <laughs> in the insomnia world. Like how we look for drowsy things to help us fall asleep. We look for caffeine to help us wake up. Right. When our body knows how to wake up anyway, but I love the smell of it. I love the taste of it. I love the warmth of it. All the whole experience of coffee. I just love, so that has to be my number one. Yes. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> what about favorite TV show? Ooh, this one's not on anymore. And interesting. Cause I'm Canadian, but it's the West wing. Mm, okay. I, my husband and I have watched the whole series through, I think four times <laughs> <laughs> and we named our dog after one of the main characters. I just, I love Aaron Sorkin. I love his writing. I love the pace of how the, the language is in his shows. And yeah, that's by far my favorite show. I have lots of favorite shows. Like I love Grace and Frankie. I love Handmaid's Tale. I love so many shows, but that one's the winner. And what book has had the greatest impact on your life? Oh, and I'm going to bring it back to Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> it's a dystopian nightmare 
book. And so this book I read in university shortly after it was published. And then I became a huge fan of Margaret Atwood's writing. And so I've loved her and it's, they're not all dystopian. Some of them are, but she's just a, she's a feminist writer. She deals with women's issues in a, just a really unique way. And I just love her. It's not harsh writing, but it's very, it can be very stark and very real. And I can only read them in small doses. Like I can't read like four of her books back to back because they can be depressing, but she's been one of my favorite authors for like my whole adult life. That's great. What are you currently reading? I usually have a nonfiction and a fiction book going at the same time. So my nonfiction right now is Brene Brown's new book, The Mm -hmm. Atlas of the Heart. Have you read that? I haven't read it yet. It's good. It's all about feelings Mm -hmm. and how, you know, we're not able to fully express like we have a vocabulary of four feelings typically. (laughs) And so the idea is the more we can learn to expand our emotions vocabulary, the better off we are that that in a nutshell. So it's great for coaching, but it's it's just so well-written and I just love her humor and her way of approaching life. So that's my nonfiction and my fiction, interestingly, because of the times, I actually started writing this before the war in Ukraine started, but it's called The Gentleman in Moscow. Mm. And it's about a guy who was a member of the former Russian aristocracy. And the revolution happens like in the early 1900s and everything is stripped away from him and how he experiences the new order in Russia. It's really, it's beautifully written, but it's a really good story. If somebody's looking for a story, I don't know if I would recommend yeah. <laughs> that you want to be reading about Russia right now, but I'm actually having a bit of a hard time with that, but <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah. yeah. And what is a win that you're currently celebrating that we can toast with you? Oh goodness. It's getting active again after having several injuries last year. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. It's been a bit of a road (laughs) to get feeling better, but I I really want to do this trip uh, a year from now. And yeah, I've, I've just gotten started with that again and I'm really excited to feel better. And yeah, yeah, that one, I I need some cheering on. Okay. We're definitely toasting that with you. Awesome. (laughs) And then where can people go to find more information about you and your work and all the amazing things you're doing? Oh, thank you. My website is janetwhalen.com. If anyone's listening who's struggling with a racing mind at night or feel like you can't shut off your brain, there's a free worksheet there at janetwhalen.com forward slash sleep. And you can just download it right away. Do it during the day, preferably not before you go to bed (laughs) um, because it'll get you thinking about all the things that your brain is racing about. Yeah. Those are the best places. I think I'm on Instagram too, Janet Whalen coaching, but definitely my website is the best. Yeah. And I'll link to all that in the show notes, but thank thank you you so much, Janet, for coming on to share about sleep, which is such an important topic. And I know something that is on the forefront of everyone's minds because it's something they do with a third of their time and we just want to do it as best we can. So thank you for sharing your insight and wisdom with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was fun. I am so excited that Janet could come and share all of this information about sleep with us on the podcast today because I have read quite a few books on sleep over the years, some of which I will admit have actually put me to sleep. But on the whole, I think it's a very controversial topic, although one that is clearly very close to all of us and something that we all need to at least put some amount of thought and effort into, although as Janet indicated, we don't want to put too much of either into it. Uh, And she shared so many great tips and so many things that I wouldn't have thought of that play a huge role in helping us get the sleep that we need to, which then enables us to do any and everything else that it is we want to do with our lives. So I'm so grateful that Janet could come on and share with us and talk about something that really is so deeply important to all of us. And with that, thanks for tuning into the Resolve Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Carly Tizano. I would love to connect with you. Don't forget to rate and review. It really helps other people find the show. And subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss another great episode next week. For the show notes or additional support in reaching your goals, check out carlytizano.com. Until next time, here's to all that lies ahead.